Hi, I'm Micah Halpern. Thank you for joining me today as I do some thinking out loud. Our first segment is called Background Briefing. The first thing I've been thinking about is a moral, philosophical, and legal question. That's actually going to be a part of a theme throughout this conversation. Every innocent death is a tragedy, but all lives are not equal. I'm not speaking of moral implications, not raising a religious question. This is a purely legal question I want to ask right now. It is proof positive in our legal system. The punishment for taking certain lives in certain ways is very different from taking a life in another way. There is a significant difference between taking a life in self-defense, for instance, and involuntary manslaughter, then voluntary manslaughter, murder, or premeditated murder. Of course, the end results are the same. Someone killed someone else. So someone is now dead, yes. But the circumstances and the intention of the death make all the difference in both the crime and the punishment. Knowing the differences is to understand how all lives are not equal. Every state and every country has laws against murder, even Iran, even North Korea. Each and every of the 50 states of the United States have laws and they are the foundation of our legal system. John Stuart Mill, let's say for instance, 19th century philosopher, pol politician, economist, thinker, would suggest that if there was a society without murder, there would be no need to promulgate a law forbidding murder. Of course, that's not true. The Bible's Ten Commandments make it clear that murder is wrong. The commandment, thou shalt not murder, is the sixth in line, the sixth commandment, the expression in the Biblical Hebrew is lo tirtzach. It means do not murder. The commandment is repeated verbatim in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, both places. The Hebrew is very clear. In fact, it is written in the imperative form. You must not. Imperative. Don't. The Hebrew expression clearly is murder, not kill. Some poorly translated Bibles mistranslate the line because of a lack of basic understanding of Hebrew. But the word cannot be understood as kill. Why? Because there are many circumstances where killing happens, such as capital punishment and self-defense. Sometimes people die. It's unfortunate. Sometimes by accident. Sometimes by negligence. That is why there is a difference between involuntary manslaughter and voluntary manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter is when someone dies as a result of an illegal act where there was no intention to kill. A car makes an illegal turn, for example, and someone dies. Someone is killed. Voluntary manslaughter is when that act was excessive. When that same car was traveling 100 miles an hour in the 55-mile zone and someone died. Someone was killed. Day after since October 7th, I've been deluged by people pointing their fingers and raising their voices, claiming that Israel is murdering more Palestinians than Hamas murdered Israelis. They are wrong. Israel is not murdering. These people do not understand the legal and moral distinction between what Israel is doing and what Hamas did. They are wrong not just legally, not just in terms of international law. They are wrong in terms of philosophy of law. They are wrong in terms of the development of law. They are wrong morally. They are wrong religiously. 
Hamas' intent was to murder, rape, and kidnap Jews, as many Jews as possible. If there were foreign workers present, they, which they knew there would be there, they were to murder and rape and kidnap them as well. Theirs was a premeditated act of murder. A premeditated act repeated over and over and over and over and over again, over 1,400 times again. Murder that was planned in advance cannot be considered an act of self-defense. Premeditated murder cannot be self-defense. The purpose of the Hamas massacre was to indiscriminately target and kill and rape and burn and torture as many Jews as possible, as many Jews as they possibly could find. Israel's response was and is to target Hamas, all of Hamas, and only Hamas and Hamas affiliates, like Islamic Jihad, which joined in the murderous massacre melee. Hamas leadership, Hamas weapons, depots, Hamas command and control centers, Hamas hideouts, and of course Hamas tunnels are the targets. Israel's goal is to destroy Hamas and to bring back the hostages. Those are the two goals. From the international legal point of view, Israel is responding to an attack. The Jewish state is committed to fighting with international law and within that law. International law refers to commensurate force and excessive acts. Commensurate is not a literary term. I've spoken about this before. It does not mean if they throw rocks, you can only throw rocks back. It means that Israel must do as much as it can to prevent civilian casualties. And it assumes that there will be civilian casualties. Excessive force refers to making certain that the types of weapons used are appropriate to accomplish the mission. Mainstream media has fed the obfuscation that contributed to this confusion, in no small part, led to the condemnation of Israel. They are focusing on the numbers of deaths and the casualties given to the international organizations like the International Red Cross and the United Nations by Hamas Ministry of Health in Gaza. The source of these numbers is highly suspect, and without a doubt, the numbers are highly exaggerated. Focusing on Israel murdering innocent civilians has become the story, not the fact that the Red Cross has not been allowed to meet with hostages or to distinguish between that which is true and that which is pure propaganda. So yes, people are still dying, but no, Israel is not engaging in acts of murder. The murderers were Hamas. Coming up, points of view. Today we'll look at one column and one column only, one very powerful and significant column. This column was published by the Wall Street Journal on November 23rd, 2023, and it was penned by Leon R. Cass, one of the greatest ethicists of our time. Cass is an advocate of great books. He's an exceptional and very critical thinker. He's a physician. Anything he writes and any time he speaks is worth paying serious attention. This essay is entitled, Why the Jewish Way of Living Matters, subtitled, Since Living Here, I've Come to Think of Israel as the Moral Capital of the West. This is how Leon Cass begins. Why do Jewish lives matter? Why do we suddenly care so much about Israel or Jewish survival? Is it merely from a nativist love of our own or a need to deny posthumous victories to Hitler? 
Is it only the Jew as eternal victim that we cherish? God forbid. Never again is never enough. What matters are not only Jewish lives, but the Jewish way of living. Jewish identity, purpose, and meaning are highly contested notions, not least in Israel. The nation's recent political battles have been about nothing less than the Jewishness of the Jewish state, whether and in what ways startup nation should remain the people of the book. As the column continues, Cass explains what the Jewish ethic is and explains and speaks of Israel as the moral compass. Although the Jewish people are few in number, they are enormous consequence for the Western world. Ideas central to our civilization first entered through the Hebrew Bible. All men are created equal, respect for life, the Ten Commandments. America's political ideas may come from Locke and Montesquieu. Modern science and technology are largely of European and North American origins. But humanly, morally, and religiously speaking, the West is a biblical civilization. In this time of moral confusion and social fragmentation, Israel, by its example, has something to teach us. Since I started living long stretches here in 2016, I've increasingly felt it is the moral capital of the West. Now Kaus explains that Israel is at the forefront of these ideas because its very existence is based on these ideas, not just the past, but the present. Kaus explains that Israel is engaged in ethical disputes of significance. He writes, Israel is the only Western country that lives with a vital devotion to its future. Alone in the developed world, it has a birth rate above replacement, with a low level out of wedlock births. In my neighborhood in Washington, people have dogs. In my neighborhood in Jerusalem, people have children. Extended families are strong, traditions alive and rich. Most Israelis, religious or secular, have Sabbath dinner with their parents. The holy tongue is the vernacular. The calendar orders sacred time. Ancestral ghosts walk the land. Popular music expresses spiritual longings in the biblical idiom. National service is the norm. Memorial Day is marked with ceremonies in every neighborhood and with a national minute of silence as people and cars stop in place to pay respect for the fallen soldiers to whom we owe our freedom. Now Kass explains that what we are seeing happen in Israel during this war with Hamas is just another example of the unique nature of the Jewish state, he writes. As the past several weeks have shown, Israeli national solidarity runs deep. Thousands have organized to provide for those in need. Haredi men, ultra-Orthodox men, are volunteering for the army. Secular soldiers are requesting tzitzit, prayer shawls and fringes. Hamas's barbarism revealed one nation, indivisible, an island of cultural and moral sanity in the world gone mad. In synagogues around the world last month, Jews read the weekly Torah portion, Lech Lecha, go forth. It recounts God's call and promise to Abraham and his people, summoned to carry God's chosen way of righteousness. That meant life against the wild and bloody ways of antediluvian man and soulless ways of the builders of Babel, against the tyrannical and technocratic ways of Pharaonic Egypt, 
against the licentious and child-sacrificing ways of the Canaanites. We Jews survived the Babylonians, Romans, Crusades, Inquisition, European expulsions, pogroms, Shoah, Gulag, and murderous attacks of the modern Middle East. In conclusion, Cass writes that while Israel is an imperfect state, Israel stands for good against evil. He concludes, and here we are, warts and all, still doing battle against these enduring human tendencies and evils, still aspiring to realize our covenantal promise to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We fall short, but we don't abandon the summons. We continue to stand for creation against chaos, life against death, good against evil, meaning against nihilism. We still aspire to be a light unto the nations. With God's help, we shall overcome. Thank you so very much, Leon Cass. Coming up, commentary through cartoons where pictures tell the story. I'm gonna show you seven cartoons and memes today. First up is a cartoon. Two mothers are shopping in the grocery store. They meet to stop and chat. One asks the other, Barb, I hear your son is in college. What is he studying to be? Barb answers, an anti-Semitic communist. That's funny. Unfortunately, that may be the conclusion that all too many parents are coming to these days. There are dozens of cartoons and memes articulating this very same theme. It is very funny, but also extremely sad. Next up is a meme. It reads, isn't it crazy how Gaza is running out of everything but rockets? That again, sad but true. This next meme is a quote from the late great essayist and thinker Charles Krauthammer, who once said, Israel is the only nation on earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, and worships the same God that it did 3,000 years ago. This quote offers perspective to those who claim that Israelis are settlers, colonizers, who stole the land of Israel. Now another cartoon. We see a pencil which has the words from the river to the sea inscribed on it. The pencil is erasing the Star of David. The pencil obviously symbolizes education. In many forums, educators are attempting to wipe out Israel. This next cartoon has Prime Minister Netanyahu at the press conference briefing. Rockets are flying over his head in both directions. He is called Mr. Security. He is saying everything is under control. It is obvious Israel continues to shake from October 7th, and it should be clear to anyone and everyone that everything is certainly not under control. This next cartoon depicts Hamas pushing its people, and Hamas is saying, if I'm willing to sacrifice my own people, what do you think I'll do to you? This is so true. And finally, a blue star of David, a Magen David, symbolizing Israel and the Jews, is being eaten by anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism, in this case, are depicted as rats. I don't need to say anything more to explain what that's about. In a moment, more of my own perspective and a few predictions. Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar addressed the turmoil he caused after saying that the nine-year-old Emily Hand an Israeli-Irish hostage was lost and found and returned, without mentioning that she was kidnapped by Hamas. 
Emily was released with the second group of hostages who were brought home to Israel. The full statement of the Irish Prime Minister on social media site X reads, A little girl was snatched from her home and held captive for almost seven weeks. She spent her ninth birthday as a hostage. We hope she will soon heal and recover from the traumatic experience in the loving embrace of her family. Even in this full statement, which was the correction, meant to make amends for the first one, the Irish Prime Minister failed to mention Emily Hand was kidnapped by Hamas terrorists at gunpoint. This is a sad situation for Ireland. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan and his Iranian counterpart Ibrahim Raisi discussed the importance of Muslim countries, especially Turkey and Iran, taking a common stance against quote, Israeli brutality in the Palestinian territories, unquote. The Turkish presidency released a statement indicating that during a phone call, the two leaders discussed, and here's the quote from the statement, Israel's unlawful attacks on Gaza, humanitarian aid efforts for Palestinians, and possible measures toward the permanent ceasefire in the region. This nexus is very dangerous, Turkey and Iran. The IDF spokesperson in Arabic, Lieutenant Colonel Avichai Adrey, reported that Hamas has set up roadblocks on main roads leading to northern Gaza to prevent the entrance of humanitarian aid trucks to the area. Once again, Hamas is using its citizens as pawns and preventing them from getting the aid, the international aid that Israel is bringing in. For the first time since the beginning of the war between Israel and Hamas and against the backdrop of the ceasefire, a Qatari delegation arrived in the Gaza Strip. The trip was announced by the Qatari network Al-Arabi Al-Jadid. They indicated that the delegation included members of the Qatari Committee for the Reconstruction of the Gaza Strip. In one night, the IDF, Shin Bet, and the Israeli border forces arrested 29 wanted persons throughout the West Bank, and 21 of them were arrested as a result of an extensive anti-terrorism operation in Jenin, the refugee camp just outside of Jenin. Since the beginning of the war, approximately 2,000 wanted prisoners and persons were arrested throughout the West Bank. Of those, approximately 1,100 are associated with Hamas. Elon Musk visited Israel. The rush trip was organized after civil rights groups accused Musk of amplifying anti-Jewish hatred on X, his social media platform. Musk first went to Kibbutz Kfar Asa after he arrived, where he did a walkthrough of the destruction led by Prime Minister Netanyahu. He also viewed the now famous video of the atrocities perpetrated by Hamas on Israelis that were taken by their cameras on October 7th. Musk also held a live chat on X with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And then they discussed AI on the live chat. This is not their first meeting. They met in September in California also and discussed anti-Semitism and AI. In another live chat, Elon Musk spoke with President Isaac Herzog about worldwide anti-Semitism. We've been thinking out loud about a lot today. Now that you know what I've been thinking, let me know what you're thinking. Email me at micah at jbstv.org. Tweet me at Micah Halpern. Tell me what you think. Before we end, let me leave you with two, repeat, 
two Picanti pieces of information. Normally I only give you one, but today I'm going to give you two because it's so important to let you know about these things. Did you know that since the war began, many people have adopted hostages? It helps us to relate to the hostages in a more personal way. East hostage has a name, a face, a family history, not just one of the many hostages taken by Hamas. Something similar to what happened when I was much younger and we were involved in the Soviet Jury Movement. At that point, we wore wristbands with the name of a refusenik on each band, on each of the wristbands. Everyone had the refusenik. My family now adopted a 12-year-old named Eitan Yahalomi. He, his father, who was wounded and whose whereabouts are still unknown, his mother and two sisters lived on kibbutz near Oz. During the attack, Eitan's mother and sisters were put on one moped and he and the Thai worker were on another moped. The mopeds were separated. Eventually, Eitan's mother and sisters were let go and miraculously made their way back to the kibbutz. On Monday, Eitan was brought back to Israel and reunited with his mother and sister. His father remains a hostage in Gaza. We pray for all the hostages. The second Picanti piece is that this war between Israel and Hamas involved a large call-up of reservists, the largest call-up in history. 300,000 reservists were called on to duty. In Hebrew, the reservists are called miluim. The word originates with the priests who served in the temple in Jerusalem. The priests, who were not full-time priests, were still required to serve in the temple. They would rotate in and do their service, their miluim, in the temple. They came from all over Israel. It was part of their obligation. Today, in this war against Hamas, the vast majority of those fighting Hamas in Gaza are older. They're seasoned military. They are more mature. They are reservists. They are miluim nakim. This is a war of miluim. The miluimlets who left their homes, their families, their professions, their businesses to join the fight because they are who they are, because they have so much more experience than the recruits, relatively speaking. And thank God, because of that, so few Israeli soldiers have died in action in Gaza. It is a miracle, but it is also part of the military strategy for this war to use the Miluim Nikim. Miluim. I want you to hear this song. It's entitled The Ballad of Miluim. The words and music were written by Yitzchak Kochav. It encapsulates the entire experience. It is about the secret lives of the Miluim Nikim. It is a very powerful and indeed an uplifting piece. It humanizes the IDF. Thank <laughs> you. 
כשהמפקד יקרא לו לבוא למילואים. ויש אומרים, ויש אומרים, מכל העולם הם האנשים הכי יפים. ויש אומרים שהם עושים יותר מכולם שמחה ונחת לאלוקים. הוא עלה מצרפת בגיל עשרים ושתיים. הוא יוצא אתיופיה שחלם על ירושלים. ביחד יסיימו את התרגיל. הוא בחור צעיר השנה רק השתחרר. הוא מבוגר שעוד זוכר את לבנון. הוא מצפון תל אביב והוא מצפון השומרון. והם חולקים אותה גזרה בגוש עציון. ויש אומרים, ויש אומרים, מכל העולם הם האנשים הכי יפים. ויש אומרים שהם עושים יותר מכולם שמחה ונחת לאלוקים. These men and women are truly inspirational. Thank you for thinking out loud with me, Micah Halpern. Let's think out loud next week again on JBS. Thank you.